HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member today. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the good fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome chocolatier Christopher Elbow from Kansas City's Christopher Elbow Chocolates. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Chris about becoming a chocolatier. What sets artisanal chocolate apart? And we'll hear Chris's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. We've often talked about Julia's deep appreciation for experts and artisans. She loved to meet them, learn from them, to taste their wares, and then share their gifts with the world. Today, we're taking a page from Julia for a last episode of the season and of the year. Now, the holidays always seem to shout, eat more chocolate. And one of our mantras is, or one of my mantras actually is, life's too short to eat cheap chocolate. Now, I'm a funny mix of a person, as I'm a Californian by birth, but my hometown is Kansas City, which is where I was raised by two New Yorkers. You have to work all that out yourselves. It was my sister-in-law, Elise, who first introduced me to Christopher Elbow Chocolates. Elise has a gift for rooting out the best of the best wherever she is, whether a children's toy, a restaurant, or yes, chocolate. Now, food-wise, Kansas City is best known as a barbecue capital. It's never really been known as a connoisseur's destination for chocolate. That is, until one man came back to town. Originally a savory chef, it was in Las Vegas that Christopher Elbow discovered a new love of pastry, and after returning to his hometown of Kansas City, Chris discovered he had a passion and an aptitude for making chocolate bonbons. 
And not just any chocolate bonbons, shiny ones with beautiful artistic designs matched by their explosion of intense flavor when you pop them in your mouth. Christopher Elbow Chocolates was born in 2003 and is all grown up now with own brand retail stores in Kansas City and San Francisco, a robust online business, and you can find them in select retailers in other parts of the country too. Chris joins us today to whet our appetites, tell us about his process, and get our holiday chocolate consumption off to the right start. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. We're delighted to have you. And I always, these are like my two favorite topics, chocolate and Kansas City. So <laughs> here we go. So how, how, let's start there. How did you end up be, being a chocolatier in Kansas City? Um, well, kind of, kind of a little bit by accident, I kind of always say I'm, I'm the, uh, uh, went down the path of, of being a, a savory chef. That's what I wanted to do from a really early age. You know, I used to watch cooking shows when I was, uh, young on Saturdays instead of cartoons. So I think uh, my family thought I was a little bit strange in, the, in that regard. Um, but kind of just to jump to the end, I uh, navigated a career through some restaurants uh, throughout the country and ultimately ended up moving back to my hometown to uh, work as a pastry chef at a, a really famous restaurant here called the American Restaurant. And that's where I ended up playing around with chocolate, for lack of better terms. And it just was this thing that found me rather than, than me seeking it. So I really had no idea that this was what I was going to do. But once I uh, discovered this, the craft of making bonbons, um, I knew that, that, that this was going to be a big part of my life. So, yes, I think I realized that I, I had always been told a bit of folklore that like you literally thought, oh, I'm going to make chocolates and I'll be the Willy Wonka of Kansas City. So I moved back <laughs> to do that. But that's not exactly what happened, is it? No, it's really not. And, you know, we used to make chocolates to send out at the end of the meal with a check, as, as many fine restaurants do. And that's really where I started having the resources and the time to to play around, you know, lack of better terms, if you will. Um, and, and right from the beginning, when I discovered that you could make a bonbon look really colorful and beautiful and and put really interesting flavors, unique flavors and textures into a bonbon, that was something I had never, ever seen before or experienced. Um, and I was hooked right from the beginning. So as soon as we started sending those out at the end of the meal, some customers started asking if they could buy them. And up until that point, you know, this was still not on my radar. You know, it, it, it took a couple people in the restaurant just asking if they could buy them for a wedding or, you know, a banquet. And uh, we started producing quite a bit of them through the restaurant and was, you know, at, at faced with this kind of decision. Like, you know, this is something I'm really passionate about. You know, is there is there a, a market for this in Kansas City um, or the or the country? Um, and can I go out on my own and, and give this a shot? Now, that's interesting because I'm just doing the math because I know how old I am, which is nearing the big five zero, and the American restaurant has always been there in my lifetime. Do you, is there some, So this is a restaurant that's really stood the, the test of time in terms of being the, one of the top, if not the top restaurants in Kansas City for all that time. Is there something unique about the culture and the environment of the way that it's run that gave you the, the time to... to you know, perfect something that was the end of the meal thing that came with your check. Yeah, I, I think with the American, and, and this started, you know, 
decades ago of 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 actually having some national notoriety. You know, so lots of chefs have come through there and have continued on to, you know, either win James Beard awards or have lucrative careers. So if you're from Kansas City and you're in the cooking world, you know, the American is the pinnacle. This is this is where you would want to end up um, if you were any sort of, I think, a serious chef. Um, I, pretty much every restaurant in Kansas City that has a, a high caliber chef has all come through the American. Um, so that was, got, you know, when I got a job there, that was like, for me, I made it. You know, it's something I knew about the American restaurant since I was a little kid. And it was always kind of um, th- this goal of mine. So when I had an opportunity, and that's ultimately what drew me back to Kansas City was a, a, a pastry position at the American restaurant. And so let let's let's pivot from that to the type of chocolates you make for people who might not already be familiar. And I know you've diversified, but like t- just describe because it sounds like they're kind of an evolution or adaptation of what you started crafting the American restaurant that are your your signature bonbons. So can you just sort of describe them and what they're like? And yeah, sure. The, the, the really the first thing that that pretty much everybody equates with when, when they hear our name and they're familiar with our chocolates is how they look. Um, we use colored cocoa butter and, and colored transfer sheets to give each one of our, our flavors and bonbons its own unique identity. So it's a very visually striking looking product. When you open a box of chocolates, we wanted you to kind of be wowed, um, you know, and we want the consumer to kind of step back a little bit and, and just admire them before they even want to start eating them. Um, so that's really, you know, and, and we've we've grown that concept over the years. I look back at some of the very first chocolates we made and, and um, you know, how, how our product has evolved over the years has been really fascinating as far as trying to use kind of some cutting edge artistic techniques. You know, we use, thing, we use a lot of things from Home Depot or from, from you know, modeling shops, airbrushes, all this kind of stuff to, to get different designs on, on chocolate. Uh, that's kind of really, really what we've become known for. For me, though, what's inside is just as important, if not more important. So the amount of effort we put into sourcing the ingredients, including the chocolate, all the flavorings we use, um, takes a a huge priority for us here in the shop and something we've curated over, you know, the 16 years we've been around. Well, and that's what I think is one of the the things which in in sort of thinking about talking to you today is that I remember is as someone who's like really into design and really into chocolate, you get this thing that looks like a jewel and you admire it and it, it, it draws you in. But then when you put it in your mouth and you destroy your artistic creation in the process, that the flavors really like live up to that. And you're, so it's, you know, and oftentimes that's not the case. You often get the beauty and it's fine, or you get something that doesn't look attractive, maybe like an old fashioned truffle, and then it's very tasty. So tell us about, was that, where did that philosophy and that desire come from? Like what, what, what's the kind of ethos behind that, that, that obviously important placing equal importance on both sides at your end? Well, the, so the looks, like the, the, the appearance of the chocolates, that's really, I'm going to always say that's the easy part, right? We can, anybody can really paint and create beautiful looking chocolate. However, I think it's a lot more difficult to craft a bonbon that's balanced really well from a flavor perspective and a texture perspective. 
Um, and then the technical aspects of making bonbons, you know, the shell being the right thickness, the, the fillings being the right viscosity, and then having this kind of punch of flavor. I remember eating a lot of boxes of chocolates growing up, and I used to be the, the, the person who would, you know, pick them all up and kind of poke the bottom to look and see what was inside it. Because um, sometimes you really can't tell that the, the flavors were really subtle. So I I learned a lot from being a savory chef on how to create flavors and how to how to enhance flavors. So I think that gave me a really great philosophy on how I approach chocolate making using the same things. Right. If we're going to make a chocolate uh, that, that tastes like fresh mint, we're going to infuse it with fresh mint leaf as opposed to um, an extract. And that's really, we learned really early on that that's how you achieve this really intense, great, true flavor is using not only the best ingredients you find, but, but real ingredients, real fruit, real herbs and spices. Um, and back in 2003, you know, when we were just starting out, that was something uh, that you really didn't see a whole lot of across the country in, in this kind of product. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I feel like that's one of your secret weapons is that you have these great flavor combinations, but also that I I feel like one of your signature things is you have great flavor combinations without trying too hard. So so you don't have a tendency to throw like the kitchen sink into everything and just make it be like interesting, but not satisfying. Yeah, one one thing that really drives our 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 develop product development here is the, is the term balance. Um, and, and I've, you know, when I first started being a chef, you want to try to make things really complicated and put a bunch of different ingredients in, you know, but over, over the years we learned to simplify. Okay. So we take one flavor and that's what we focus on, on a bonbon, maybe two. The only time we would put a lot more into it is if it would create something as a whole, like say curry, for instance, right? We're going to put six or seven different spices in it to create a, a curry infused bonbon. But to me that, that creates kind of one whole flavor. So keeping things simple and having a level of restraint has really grown to be our mission statement here in the kitchen. And it also comes from, that's what I like to eat, right? I like simple, clean, pure things, just executed well, much more than something that's been fussed over or has a lot of ingredients and it's really complicated, you know, and at the end of the day, when we create a flavor in house, if we eat it and someone says that's interesting or like, yeah, it's, it's good, but I don't want another one. then then it's probably something that we shouldn't put out to the public. And I'm realizing again, I have the inside track having eaten many of your chocolates before. What to give listeners more of an idea of not just the the beauty of them, which they can check out online, but like the taste. Like, what are some of your most popular flavor combinations? So one of our most popular ones is our fresh lemon, and we achieve this. And this is a great example of how we use fruit in our bonbons. We we create a uh, kind of like a jam layer. Um, so we take uh, fresh lemons, we zest them, we juice them, um, we create a, a jam out of it. So it's really bright, really acidic, and it just pops. The second you put it into your mouth, there is no question that fresh lemon is what we were aiming to achieve there. Um, our next, you know, we, we do a lot of the classics, raspberry, salted caramel, 
Um, those are going to be the most popular flavors. But right behind that, one of our, our most popular flavors, and this was our first one into the kind of savory uh, world, was uh, rosemary-infused caramel. And that sounds strange uh, to a lot of people, but when you eat it, it makes total sense. You know, we, we infuse the right amount of fresh rosemary into the cream before we make the caramel, and you just have this nice kind of piney herbal characteristic to it. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't sure how the general public here would, would react to flavors like that, but, you know, everybody's been really excited to try them and, um, they've, they've been in our lineup for 16 years. Some of these really more, what, what some people might call challenging flavors. Well, and I was curious thinking about, cause I have personal connections to both Kansas City and San Francisco which is where I was born in California. Do you have big differences in what sells in your retail shops there? Or is it actually more similar than different? It's more similar than different. Um, I think you do have out in a, in a, a bigger metropolitan market like San Francisco where people are willing to try a little bit more. Uh, we don't have to, you know, coax them as much to, to take a chance on a flavor that might be a little more challenging. Um, but for the most part, um, there's a lot of similarities and, and I think Kansas city has been a really, you know, and, and I'm a little bit biased here, obviously, since I'm from here has been a fantastic place for us to, to, to launch our business. And, and there was some questions on that at the beginning of, of, of the company was, is Kansas city going to be the right market for a product like this? Cause nobody's ever done it here um, or nobody's ever sold anything like that here. But I got to tell you, it's been, a dream to be back in my hometown and and have the kind of support from from the consumers and the city that uh, that our companies had. So it's really great. There's there's not a whole lot of differences between the two markets. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, being in Kansas City, have you actually found advantages? You were sorting to starting to go into that, but are there advantages to being there? Is is part of it being a bigger fish in a smaller pond, where obviously San Francisco is very competitive in 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 terms of food and artisanal products and chocolate? Yeah, I, you know, just from a business standpoint, Kansas City has been been a great place. A the the geographical location. You know, we ship a lot of chocolates around the country, so being smack in the middle of the country has really proved to have been a, a really benefit, great benefit to our company and something I, I didn't really even think about starting out. Um, you know, and also a smaller market city, you know, real estate, cost of goods, cost of labor um, have all really helped us uh, grow our company uh, because we've really been able to control those uh, those factors. So. Um, definite, definitely Kansas City, you know, as, as opposed to starting this in more of a major market, um, I think made it a lot easier for us to, to get our company off the ground. And it sounds like also you um, have been really well received that you've actually people have kind of embraced the idea that you're doing it in Kansas City and are, you know, sort of a hometown success story is is that something you've really felt from the community yeah absolutely from day one um and even still to this day you know you see a lot of uh, uh people are really proud of kansas city and and when they uh, have something that's unique um and maybe has some national notoriety uh, they are really proud to show that off to you know friends and family from around the the, the country so it has really helped us being here. 
Um, and I remember even in the very early days, uh, you know, we got a lot of great press right out of the gate. You know, Oprah Magazine, Food and Wine, Bon Appetit. And a lot of the uh, people I would work with at those publications were, they were kind of excited to have like something from the Midwest to talk about. You know, it's like they, we focus on New York and L.A. and the big markets. And they were really excited that something, you know, that, that could easily be in one of those cities was coming out of the, the middle of the country. And how do you think it is that you did break through? Because, you know, it's fair to say you're not the only one doing this style of, you know, very artistically designed, shiny bonbons. There, there are others. I'm not sure there are others that are as good. But w- what was it? Was it just you got it to the right people to taste it or from your past experience? Or do you remember distinctly a sort of moment where you felt like, OK, th- this is going to work? Well, it, it was really early on that that. I, I knew this was going to work. Um, back in 2003, you could probably count the number of like really great chocolatiers in the country on one hand. Um, so a, a lot of it I chalk up to being in the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, I, I knew nothing about running a business when I started this, so I've probably made every mistake under the under the sun. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be a very great case study in a in a business class. Um, but we just had this the interest from. You know, it just seemed like people were hungry for this type of product, um, you know, not only consumers, but press. And, you know, we just from day one have been unable to keep up with demand. And so that's driven how our company's grown over 16 years, um, which is, you know, it's a great problem to have for any business. You know, we, we, we say it's still a problem and something we always try to address, but um, we've never We've never let that kind of drive our how we make the chocolate, right? How we, uh, the, the quality of, of what we do, no taking shortcuts in an effort just to make more. So um, being in that position to where we always knew we have people to buy our chocolate has, has really helped, you know, kind of craft how we've grown our company over the years. I see. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back to talk with Christopher Elbow about his artisanal chocolate-making process. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge— More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep-deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. This episode is brought to you by you. Heritage Radio Network makes your favorite food podcasts. And now we need you to lend your voice to our community and show your support of food radio. Become a member today. 
HRN releases 35 weekly shows each week and is a globally respected voice in food media. But believe it or not, we're still a very small grassroots organization. HRN is powered by a small but mighty staff of four people and HRN's incredible hosts who volunteer their time to bring you the best food podcasts out there. Our hosts are experts in their field, whether it's food writing, mixology, culinary history, craft beer, LGBTQ issues, and so much more. And they're committed to making sure that the stories that matter to you keep coming each week. We believe that a thoughtful, committed group can change the world. So join us. Add your voice and support HRN by making a donation of any amount. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome back. We're talking to Christopher Elbow about how he makes his signature artisanal chocolates. So b- before the break, we were just talking about or kind of approaching how you make your chocolates. And I wanted to talk to you and, and give you a chance to share in more detail because that's a big part of what sets your uh, chocolates apart in, in addition to how they look. So how, uh, why don't, maybe we start with how do you source your, your chocolate and, and what kinds do you use? So in a, in a bonbon, one thing I learned pretty early on is that chocolate is this really strong flavor. Okay, and this goes back to that term balance that we use in the shop a lot. So we needed to find a chocolate that had a great balance of flavor and then can also be balanced with hundreds of flavors that we're going to throw at it. You know, chocolate can be really fruity. It can be really earthy, really nutty. Um, So it can take on all these kind of different different flavors, but that doesn't always work for a bonbon. You know, we're, we're very aware that when you eat a bonbon, Yes, you need to taste that chocolate, but it has to work with the filling that we're, or, you know, primary flavor that we're putting inside. Um, So we ended up where that led us was to craft a custom chocolate blend. There are actually two of them now uh, with Valrona Chocolate Company, which is a French chocolate maker that's been around a long time. Very famous in France for producing chocolates for some of the world's best pastry chefs. Um, And they were able to you know, create it took about a year for us to develop these these blends to where we had just this really great deep rich chocolate flavor um, that's going to stay somewhat focused in the middle of the flavor wheel and go with pretty much anything we're going to put at it. And that's not to say we don't use other you know really great fantastic single origin chocolates, but when we use that kind of product. We're going to use that on its own. We're not going to put another flavor with it because, it, it, you know, these have such distinctive characteristics from origin from country to country um, that that's what we want to highlight and focus uh, there. Uh, so, you know, we use eight, nine, ten different chocolates in, in the shop pretty much at any one given time. So how did so, – so you're sourcing for your bonbons it from Velrona – but it's a custom blend of different elements that they make or provide for you. Correct. Yeah. And so it uh, so it arrives in what sort of so they does come it in arrive and, in yeah what what does it look like yeah, when it little, gets to your little discs little little coins uh, they call them fevs and in in big boxes we we get big pallets of them in and 
we're 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 what's called you know a remelter, right? We'll remelt that and transform it into the the beautiful bonbons and creations that you see, and then the fillings, the ganaches, the caramels, and things like that. That's where we get a chance to play with uh, some other origins and and other kinds of chocolates that uh, can add a different flavor profile that we're going for. And the chocolate that arrives when you say it's a blend, it's a blend of different um, cocoa, cacao beans that, that Valrona's roasted for you in, in their facility or, or what, what does a blend in this case mean? Yeah, correct. So I think in our, in our, in our dark blend, we have about six origins from around the world. Um, We really were focusing on, again, trying to have this, this kind of really and this sounds strange, but chocolatey is a is a characteristic in chocolate. So we wanted it to be really chocolatey. So that influenced what a major base of of our uh, blend would be. And then we added to that other flavor profiles. So adding some of the nuttiness and some of the earthiness and and fruitiness. I like my chocolate to have a little bit of acidity to it because um, I think you know, that that we we call that astringency, that, that sensation when you eat something, um, it makes you salivate, you know, and that's a, that's a good thing. Um, so we, uh, you know, we control the acidity level to be just a little bit higher. Um, and I think that's one reason it does go so well with a lot of the flavors that we will, we will ultimately end up putting with it. And is the blend that you use now, is that evolved from what you started with at the beginning from, from sort of refining everything, or is it actually pretty close to, to what you originally found you wanted to work with? So it's very different. It's very different than where we started. When I started, I was using 100% Venezuelan chocolate, which is some of the best chocolate on the planet is grown in Venezuela. Um, but again, as I kind of learned and, and you know got farther into this, I learned that it was just becoming really hard to pair some of the flavors that we would do. And it's not very, it wasn't very practical for a smaller company like ours to, say, have all these different melting tanks of different chocolates from around the world, where we could use, you know, say, ten different single origin chocolates in our in our bonbons. We we really had from a uh, production standpoint, we had to come up with one chocolate that's going to work with with everything. And so, how how were you able? I mean, will Velrona custom blend a chocolate for anybody, or did you have to demonstrate a certain volume before they'll work with you for that? Yeah, it's it's a definitely a certain volume. Um, you know, we commit to to buying X amount of this. You know, we 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 have them run three ton batches and. Um, you know, we, we, we purchase about 25 to 30 tons of chocolate from them a year. Um, so we had the volume at that point to, to get into this project. And how much do they, do they control the whole sourcing part of it? Or do you have kind of a, a, a say so in, in that? Cause, and obviously it's kind of interesting. You're talking about blending when everyone's obsessing about single origin. <laughs> right, and I think right. what you're saying is for your product and for taste, single origin is not preferred because it's too specific. Yeah. It's, it's too strong of a flavor. It's too dominant of a flavor and, and it will work with some bonbons and, um, and I love single origin chocolate. We actually started making our own, uh, bean to bar chocolate about two years ago, but you know, we just, sell them in tasting bars, right? So you can, um, you know, one of the ways I like to consume chocolate is just to get three or four single origins and sit down and and 
taste them side by side, you know, and and, and really really contemplate and think about the the, the nuances of them. So Valrona, um, another reason I like working with them is their commitment to the farmers and to the sourcing. You know, they they aren't they aren't a commodity grade chocolate, you know, maker. I've had the privilege of going to uh, several of their farms and origins to, uh, you know, learn about the farmers and how this, you know, how they source and, and their philosophy behind it. So it's a product I can feel really, really good about. Um, and then I know I'm going to get a consistent, you know, perfect, like a, a chocolate that's workable. The flavor is going to be consistent time after time after time. It's another challenge with single origin chocolates is, they taste different from harvest to harvest, from batch to batch. So for us, if we, if we tried to work with a product like that on a daily basis, it's going to cause it, it'd be a lot of challenging to figure out like, okay, we have a new batch in and, and we've done this at times. How do we, uh, how are we going to, how is this one going to behave for us? You know, we don't have really the, the time to do that. We want to know that when we get that blend in, it's going to perform and taste exactly how it did 10 years ago. I'm really struck in listening to what you're talking about, how you're, you've got this very hometown Kansas City specific business, but that actually you're talking about something that is very global by nature in terms of where the product can be grown or where a core amount of the product can be grown. And I'm also assuming that even some of your fillings and flavors are not, not things that are native or grow that well in Kansas City. So you're I mean, do you think of it that way? You're really like bringing the world to Kansas City to make these things and then sending them back out yeah. across the country? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. You know, chocolate is a, a very global, uh, you know, or cacao is a very, very global product. You know, it grows 20 degrees north and south of the equator. Um, so there's there's no local chocolate to Kansas City per se, you know, and, and kind of very similar to coffee. Um, and then a lot of the other ingredients too. And, you know, we do... We do think about local. So if there's the ability for us to buy an ingredient on a local basis, we can. So all of our fresh mint, herbs, spices, um, we partner with a lot of other local companies, you know, on, on you know, using ingredients, you know, locally produced ingredients and collaborations. But that's not always possible, right? One of my favorite flavors is passion fruit. Well, we don't grow them here, so I've got to go find a source for that. Um, from somewhere else in the world, um, and you know that's driven. That's driven our sourcing model. Uh, you know, we take take that similar approach to chocolate that we do for everything else. Is is uh, can we get the best ingredient? Do we know where it comes from? Do we know who grows it? So it's a very much ingrained in our philosophy here when we when we do new products and flavors. Is where are we going to get the ingredients from? And where does the best passion fruit come from? <laughs> um, Hawaii has some great passion fruit um, down in, in Central South America. Uh, the fruits down in, you know, in, in say Colombia, for instance, are just amazing. So um, we 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 look for producers who can, um, you know, and we'll we'll get that in the form of like a concentrate or a um, a, a, a juice, like a frozen puree. Um, so some of the, those partners too, we, it's the same similar sort of vetting with those producers and suppliers as it is for our chocolate, understanding how they're acquiring their, 
raw materials and processing it to maintain the best flavor uh, that we could possibly get. And so we're coming up to the big holiday season or you're in the throes of it and, and everyone else is preparing for it. Um, what are what goes into and because you do have special holiday collections and I don't know if they're limited times or they're just flavors you highlight. Tell us about your your special holiday collections. Yeah, so one of the things I think we've become really known for is and and, and is very important for us internally is is innovation. Um, we always try to do new flavors and new products, and and we do that especially around the holiday season. So doing really beautiful seasonally themed chocolates from an appearance standpoint, and then from a flavor standpoint, what flavors make sense in the winter time and you know or whatever season where holiday we're going to be celebrating. Um, and then also packaging. Patrick, packaging is something over the years, you know, that we, we've found out that is super, super important. And we put a ton of effort into um, doing new packaging every year and really changing it, it. It's a lot of work, that business model to constantly be evolving and innovate. But I feel like that's been a really major key to our success is our customers always know every year, even if they only buy it once a year at, at Christmas time, that they're going to experience something that they've never experienced before from us. Uh, so we put a we put a lot of emphasis and effort on on the, that kind of innovation from flavors um, and packaging and designs. All right, you you you've skirted around it. So what's what are some of those flavors this year? <laughs> So our, our favorite one this year is, um, which is a really, really popular flavor out in the market is speculus cookie. Um, so that uh, it's a Belgian style, uh, spiced cookie with brown sugar, clove, cinnamon. Um, and we create a praline with it. So it's got this crunchy texture to it. And, um, and like a lot of our bonbons, we use salt to, uh, highlight flavors. And this one has just the saltiness to it that I, I really think works fantastically. Um, we'll do mulled wine, so a spiced wine. And we kind of think, since we're in the middle of the country and it does get cold here, I tend to think about temperature more than anything. So what do I like to eat when it's cold out? Warming spices, like mulled wine, hot cider. So we do a spiced caramel apple that's really, really nice. Um, I drink eggnog once a year at the holiday time. So that's, <laughs> that's such a great flavor. And it's something I really, really love, um, but I can only drink it like once a year. Um, so eggnog and how, how does eggnog become a flavor inside a chocolate? What is it? Is it just you add a lot of rum or how does that work? Yeah, pretty much. I add a lot of rum and a lot of nutmeg, um, but we do a white chocolate ganache. Um, and, and it's uncanny how it tastes like eggnog. It, it really is a fantastic uh, flavor profile that, you know, white chocolate, rum and eggnog. Uh, can't beat it. All right. And and so the other thing that, that's interesting that I want to talk to you a little bit before we run out of time is is collaboration. So as much precision goes into the products that you make, you've also gotten involved in some interesting collaborations I hear like chocolate coffee and chocolate beer. What what drew you to, to doing that? Well, I think the, the main thing is that being in, you know, a community like Kansas City with very talented artisans and makers from around the world. 
um, have kind of settled here and are making world-class products. We've got world-class breweries, world-class coffee roasters. Um, and a lot of, there's a lot of synergies between, you know, how we approach our craft and how they approach theirs. So when we get together and, and start kind of talking about a potential collaboration, um, we know right off the bat that, that we're going to make something special because we both have the same mindset. And Kansas City is great as well. Small market. You know everybody here um, if you're kind of in the food world. And people just love to, to do new things. I think you know, we, we look at it as, as a chance to innovate and do something new. Um, and I think the people we collaborate with look at the same thing, you know, look at it the same way is this is an opportunity to do something we've never done before. So it, it very much challenges, you know, intellectually um, from from a collaboration standpoint. And then chocolate goes with so many great things. So chocolate and coffee, no brainer to me. Um, beer actually is a great great thing to pair with chocolate and so we've we've made some really fun you know cacao infused beers over the years and i I also heard a well it may be more than a rumor something about ice cream is going on as well yeah we actually uh we have a a couple ice cream stores here in kansas city and, and the first one i opened up back in 2010 um with the same philosophy that we we um take with chocolate making using great ingredients, crafting some more unique flavor combinations that you typically wouldn't expect. And pretty much every bonbon flavor that we could think of translates to an ice cream. And uh, we just wanted to be able to show this kind of this other level of ice cream making that can happen. Um, And that always subsequently used to be one of the favorite things that when I was a pastry chef was, all the restaurants I worked at, we always made our own ice cream. So I really had a passion for that as well. And so, 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 so was it something that it was sort of always had in the back of your mind? And then once the chocolate business became successful and you thought about what else you could be doing, that, that was sitting there ready to be tackled? Yeah, I think that was always on my mind that I wanted to get in the ice cream game at some point. And another reason is, is from a logistical standpoint, chocolate's pretty slow in the summertime here. Um, it's hard. It's very difficult to ship chocolate in the summertime without it melting. It's very expensive to do that. There's no, there's no holidays in the summer. So, part of it was a way to keep our production staff busy in the summertime, um, while there wasn't really much to do at the chocolate shop. Ah, uh, that makes sense. And what's the brand called for your? Are they they are they actual retail stores or how do you sell the ice cream? Yeah, they are actually retail stores, and we actually created the first one. We started selling pints of of ice cream out of the chocolate shop on the weekends. And, um, you know, our production was pretty small, but we would be, we would sell out within a matter of hours. So, it, you know, the, we, we saw that the market for a really good quality ice cream was, was there. Um, the first one we opened is called Glossy Artisan Ice Cream. And we just really focused on a kind of more of a French custard based ice cream. So really rich mouthfeel, you know, has some, you, you, you it's heavy. It's a really just decadent product. And then this year we actually opened up a, a concept called Fairway Creamery in Fairway, Kansas. And with that concept, we're having a lot more fun with it. So we're doing a lot of uh, soft serve, really fun soft serve flavors and tons of sprinkles. And it's, it's a very family friendly um, type of atmosphere and product. So been, that's been a very different departure than what we've 
maybe not quite as serious as everything else we've ever done. But not yet shipping that all over the country. No, no, we're, we do that in small batches here, and and, and really have no plans to take that uh, take that nationally. Well, that that must be an. I grew up right next to Fairway, so that must be an exciting <laughs> development for everyone there. Yeah, it's, it's it's been a fantastic neighborhood to be in. All right, are you an artisanal chocolate fan? What are some of your favorite chocolate discoveries where you live? Send us an email or even a voice memo to contact juliachildfoundation.org and let us know after the break. Chris is going to reveal a Julia moment. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory moment or how she's inspired them in their career. Chris, your turn. What's your Julia moment? So I'm, I'm, I'm sure like pretty much every chef that, you know, that's come along before me, um, the influence and impact of Julia Child on, on my career has, has been monumental. Um, as I alluded to earlier, I used to watch cooking shows on, on PBS, uh, the local PBS station when I was growing up on Saturdays as opposed to cartoons. And, you know, what was fascinated with uh, Julia Child's, uh, you know, when she always had Jacques Pepin, Julie and Company. And um, that was the, the very first book I had was Cooking with Master Chefs by her and and my goal in, in there was to work with some of those, which I and ultimately ended up getting the opportunity to do. Um, but it was, you know, over the, over the years, as you kind of grow in your career and understand, you know, get asked that question a lot, who are your, your major influences? Um, be impossible not to, to call out Julia Childs as, as having a dramatic impact on, uh, on me as, as far as wanting to go into the culinary field and become a chef and, the importance of French cuisine on on pretty much any other uh, cuisine in in the world. So, and like I said, I wanted to be a savory chef, uh, and that that's what I set out to do. Um, as a direct result of of watching Julia Child on TV on Saturday mornings. So we have Julia to thank for your great chocolates. Then, in the end, I I think that would that would be a, a fair assessment. Thank you very much for joining us today, Chris. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was great talking with you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. To learn more and see the signature bonbons in living color, you can go to elbowchocolates.com. It's just like it sounds, E-L-B-O-W. There are special offers for the holidays right on the homepage. And for more visual splendor, it's at elbowchocolates on Instagram, as well as Twitter and Facebook. If you want to find a retailer near you, Go to elbowchocolates.com forward slash where hyphen to hyphen buy. For more holiday cheer from the foundation, it's at Julia Child on Facebook or at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. And it's at Julia Child JCF. And I'm at T Shulkin, T-S-C-H-U-L-K-I-N on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks to my co-producer of the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Amanda Wang. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. 
Remember to give us a review. It really helps new listeners discover the show. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcast. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next season and next year on Inside Julia's Kitchen. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the AHRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>